I'm really thankful for uh, young David Sizdek. David Sizdek is our youth pastor. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard him preach through Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. And as he began his message, he started off with a story about how when he was a young uh, boy, he would go into uh, a store and hide from his mom. Do you remember that story? If you were here a couple weeks ago, he was kind of using that as an illustration. And so that, that was two weeks ago. And that same Sunday, that night, um, I, I had a chance to serve at Family Promise overnight with my, my sons. And before Isaac and Ephraim and I got to a family promise, we needed to stop and get breakfast groceries. So we went to pick and save. And as soon as we walk in the door, <clears throat> Isaac and Ephraim bolt. They take off and they start hiding around the corner. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, I can't see you. They're like, just doing what David Sizdek told us to do. <laughs> so I'm so grateful for the influence uh, that David Sizdek is having on our youth. Um, I'm just kidding, brother. I actually am very grateful for the influence you're having on our youth as you point them to Jesus. Um, I had a phone call from my mom about a week and a half ago that my 83-year-old dad was in a tractor accident and was in the hospital in Madison. And so uh, he's 83. And you know when you're 83, you know what you do? You drive tractor for 16 hours a day. That's just what you do, I guess. So we can't get my dad out of a tractor. He's in a tractor. He's going up a hill and the, the tractor malfunctioned and the manure uh, spreader behind him, pulled him back down backwards into a ravine, and he was in the cab of the tractor, and he got slammed back and forth about three times, broke three ribs, had a fractured vertebrae in his neck. And so, you know, you're 83, you don't get healed up as quite as quick. So we're waiting from, I got a call, waiting for a neurosurgeon to kind of give us a synopsis of what this means and what's going to happen, and praise God, he's, he's okay. But uh, I was doing a funeral that night in Milwaukee, came back up, Stephanie was with me, dropped her off at home, got a quick change of clothes, got a bag, and quick drove off to Madison. Uh, to be with my mom and my sisters at the hospital with my dad. And got to Madison at about 11.15 p.m. I found a parking spot right out kind of front on the street because it was late. And I, I took my bags out of the car and walked up to the front uh, front door. And it was one of those big rotating things, you know, that you can kind of walk through. It was closed. It was locked. And I was like, dang, how do you... So I go over to the side door. No, there's a, a gal, an employee there. She's like, oh, no, you can't go in there. She's like, it's too late. You got to go around the block, kind of on the right over here. You got to go to the ER, and you can go in and get in that way. So I like, all right, thank you. So I went over this way, around the block, halfway around the block, and came into the ER. There's a little station there. Got to check in. And I said, hey, I'm looking for my dad. Here's his name. He's in room 7611. She's like, oh, oh no, you don't get in here for that. You got to go back out. You got to take a right. You got to go over there. And then there's going to be a skywalk. You got to go across the skywalk. I was like, okay, thank you. So I went back over, went across. Here's where the main doors were. I first were just right across the street. I'm like, okay, big entrance there. I get it. So I walk up to those big revolving doors. They don't work either. And so I go over where the left side is, or you know, the, the door you can just open like this. And I go to reach for the handle and I hear behind me, hey, what are you doing? I'm just like, uh, it's a, you know, it's a security guard, which I mean, he's doing his job. I get it. But I'm like, I'm just looking for my dad, like 7611. They told me to come there, then here, then there, and then here. And he's like, you can't get in there. There's signs everywhere. You got to go through the parking ramp. And I'm like, I got eyes and I don't see signs everywhere. But again, I respect his authority. I'm like, okay, whatever. I guess I'm the only person in this whole city that doesn't know how to get in this hospital except that employee over there and that one over there. But anyway, so I finally, I finally find a way to the skywalk through the parking ramp and I get through the sky ramp and I go over to the skywalk and I go over and get 25 minutes later, I finally get into my dad's room. It was like 1140. And I was like, man, I was thinking back on it. I'm like the, the, the people who should have shown me the way to my father were actually standing in the way of me getting to my father. 
The people who were supposed to show me the way to my father were actually standing in the way of getting to the father. Uh, brothers and sisters, I, I, do you know where I'm going with this? Okay, I hope so. See, I think, uh, family, we, we, followers of Jesus, were meant to show people the way to the Father, but sometimes we actually can get in the way, stand in the way of people coming to the Father. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're like, you've, you've kept God at kind of a distance for quite some time, and maybe it's because of some of his followers who actually kind of have stood in the way uh, for various reasons. And if you're here this morning, I'm glad you're here. Uh, what, what you're going to be in this morning, you're going to be in kind of a family conversation as we, as followers of Jesus, try to learn how to not stand in the way, but to show the way. We're going to do that in Acts chapter 11. So Acts chapter 11 is on page 779 in the Brown Bibles. I would encourage you to grab one. If you have a Bible you brought with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. If, you're, if you want to grab one on your chairs, it's 779 or in your apps, Acts chapter 11. We're going to go through the majority of the chapter together this morning. And whenever we go into the book of Acts, I always say this because it's the same. Um, it's a descriptive text, which means that it's describing what happens. It's not necessarily a prescriptive text, meaning it's not always prescribing what we need to do. But what we can do is we can learn from Acts. And I think there's observations we can make and applications that we can leverage uh, for our sake today as God's word speaks to us. Now, Acts, if you're, if you're kind of unfamiliar with Scripture, Acts is in the part of the Scripture that is after the Gospels, which are about the life, uh, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so right after that, we find this book called The Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. But um, that's kind of where we're at in Scripture chronologically. And what we're walking into in chapter 11 is two chapters of God doing some powerful work in the, in the lives of two very different men. If you look in Acts chapter 9, David talked about it two weeks ago. He talked about the conversion of Saul, a religious zealot, and how he encountered Jesus and how his life was changed. Last week, Mike was here and he talked about uh, a Roman centurion named Cornelius who also encountered Jesus and had his life changed too. So uh, the late theologian John Stott brought uh, a a couple comparisons that we need to look at. And it looks like this. You've got Saul who's a Jew. Uh, Cornelius was a Gentile. You've got a scholar and a soldier, a religious bigot and a religious seeker. And the point is the gospel, the gospel is powerful enough to change both of these men's lives and, and far beyond that as well. Now, what happened here, though, was when Cornelius came to faith in Christ, we're going to find that there were some who, were, uh, who had a Jewish background who were like, mm, I don't know about this Gentile thing. I don't know about that. And so when Peter gets back to Jerusalem after this whole thing happens in chapter 10 last week, he's got some splaining to do. Okay? And we're going to see that in chapter 11. If you look at the title, mine says, Peter explains his actions. Yours might say Peter defends himself. Uh, either way, that's what we're going to look at. Chapter 11, verse 1. Let me pray quick, and then let's read this. Father, uh, I ask that you would do what you promise, which is that your word would not return void. I ask that you would get me out of the way, that you would speak to us in spite of me, what you are seeking to, to speak into our hearts by your spirit. Give us ears to hear, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. <gasps> I'm going to stop there for a minute. See, my wife Stephanie says this to me. She goes, Troy, you talk about circumcision too much. And I said, Honey, it's not like it's my thing, okay? It just happens to be in the text that I get, okay? Here it is again. You're like, What is it up with the circumcision? Here's what the thing is. Uh, first followers of Jesus would have primarily been Jewish and Jewish, of Jewish context, which means they would have been circumcised. 
And those who were outside of the Jewish faith would have been uncircumcised. And that's what they're saying. They're saying, how dare you, Peter, you went in and ate with an unclean Gentile? How, how, what? You ate with his unclean self? He's like, I'm just telling you what happened. He's like, I was praying. And this vision came and, and it showed me God spoke. And he's like, you got to go. And there was these unclean animals. And God said, you don't have to, like, they're clean now. It's okay. He's like, so I went. He's like, I was just doing what God said. In fact, the vision came three times because God knows I'm not real quick. And so I just went. And here's what it says in verse 12. I want to pick up because what he did in verses uh, 4 through 11 there is he's defending himself and retelling what happened in chapter 10. If you want to hear more, go back and listen to the message Mike gave last week. But in verse 12, it says, the spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. That's Cornelius's house. He, Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Jaffa for Simon, who is called Peter. He, Peter, will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I, Peter, began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think? That I could oppose God. More literally it says, who was I to stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Peter's like, look, God's just trying to give life to people. He's like, I'm just telling you what happened. And so he makes this case. Here's chronologically what happened. They're like, okay, all right. Like, all right, God, you're going to give life even to the Gentiles. I get it. Okay. But this was hard for them because from their perspective, as, 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 as uh, coming from the Jewish background, see, they, they believed that they were the chosen people, which I know sounds really arrogant, but it's in the Hebrew scriptures. The Jewish people were the chosen people of God. They were chosen as a nation to point all nations to God. They were chosen from a family that one would come through their family who would eventually bless all families, the Messiah. But they had forgotten that their chosen status was for that reason, to share in the blessings. And so Peter asks the question, say, who am I to stand in God's way? And I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves as well. Who are we to stand in God's way? Maybe more specifically, in what ways may we either intentionally or unintentionally stand in God's way? Now, a quick time out clarifier you can't stand in god's way sorry it's just on the semantics but you can't stand in god's way god's going to do what he's going to do in spite of you however what i think we can do is be like those hospital employees and actually stand in others ways as they seek the father okay and the church the early church here fell prey to some things that, that stood in the way for others there was three things in this text that i saw there's probably more but i want to go through these three things that kind of are standing in the way the first one is this one racism okay This one's the easiest one. You had Jews and Gentiles. You had one ethnicity and other ethnicities, and they're saying, hey, this is for us, not for you. And most of you probably don't wake up in the morning and be like, I wonder how many Gentiles I'm going to run into today. Those uncircumcised Gentiles, crazy. Okay, like you're probably not thinking that. I get it. And you may not even wake up and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling racist today. You probably don't say that. But so let me boil this down to people that are not like you, people that are not like me. If we're really honest... We like to spend time with people who are like us. We like to spend time with people who, for example, like who make roughly the same amount of money that we do. And the reason why is because we spend a bunch of time with people who make a lot less. We feel guilty. We spend a bunch of people, time with people who make more. We feel poor. Okay? So we like to spend people who are like us. It's 
spend time with people who like us. We like to spend time with people who raise their kids like us because they, they obviously know what they're doing. <laughs> okay? We like to spend time with people who speak the same language as us. Well, that's just silly, Troy, of course. It's, it's called communication. We, I get it. Okay? But we like to spend time, if we're single, we like to spend time with people who are single. If, we like spend, if we're married, we like to spend time with married people. Like, this is just kind of how we are. And I get it. Socially, just straight up, relationally, it makes total sense. It's easier that way. I get it. However, God specifically speaks to Peter and he's like, hey, you've got to go across the bridge here, the cultural bridge. You need to set yourself aside, take yourself out of your comfort zone and engage people where they're at for my sake. And I'm pretty sure he would say the same thing to us today. We were wrestling through this together as a missional community um, in the past few weeks. We have some friends in our neighborhood who had sold their house and we're moving out of our neighborhood. And so someone else is going to be moving into the neighborhood and right next to one of our families uh, who are part of a missional community. And we found out that that individual who was moving into that house was not going to fit as well as people who are just like us. Okay, we found out some things. And we were, there was some, some struggling. Like, okay, this is going to be harder. Yeah, yep, it's going to be harder. But we had to wrestle through it because we had to say, hey... If we are following the gospel, then if we're believing in Jesus and following him, then what we need to do is be radical in the ways that we welcome this individual who is not like us to our neighborhood. These are are things that we have to be aware of because we can fall prey to racism, people who are not like us, and sitting in the way of them as they come to the Father. A second thing we can fall prey to is not racism, but it's legalism. Here, Peter, in verse 3, he was accused, you went in and you ate with them? You ate and this has to do with, um, from the Torah, there was um, Levitical ritual purity laws. You could eat certain things, you couldn't eat certain things. The reason was God was like, hey, you're my holy people, you're my chosen people, I want you to be holy, and there's certain things I want you to eat and certain things I don't want you to eat. These things will make you unclean, you need to be clean, you need to be ritually clean. In fact, today, if you're a serious uh, Jew, you're still going to be eating kosher. If you're a serious Muslim, you're still going to be eating what's called halal for this reason. And so we don't want to give them too hard of a time because they were just basically, when they were coming at Peter, they are just like, hey, these are rules we've been following for a long time. All of a sudden you're just throwing them out the window. But when Jesus came on the scene, here's what he said. He's like, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean. But it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. Jesus is like, I am the fulfillment of the law. So in other words, these laws were good. He's not saying these laws were bad. He's saying these laws were put in place to make you holy, but really to point you to one who can make you clean. And that's me. And so things were different. But if we're honest, I think one of the ways that we actually stand in the way of others who are seeking the Father is that we take kind of religious ritualism or uh, legalism or self-righteousness and we set it between us and them. We say, oh, those people don't ever go to church on Sundays, which we don't go to church, by the way. We are the church. But, oh, they, they don't. They, they, they use language that, darn diddly darn. Okay, like, so so, we, so we, take, we take our self-righteousness and we project it onto others and then stand in the way and say, oh, I'm not eating with those people. Maybe it's someone at work or someone at school who's like a bigot or a braggart or a flirt or a womanizer or a Republican or a Democrat or someone who's greedy or someone who's vulgar. You insert your favorite judgment here and you say, let me, let me say, mm-mm, mm-mm. But as if we forget, 
as if we forget how desperate we need the gospel. As if we forget how, how God hates our sin as much as he hates their sin and his wrath is poured out on sin. But how much we need the, the cross and how much we need grace every single day. May we not forget, family. May we not let legalism and self-righteousness come in the ways of us seeking to help others and show others the way to God. So we've got racism, we've got legalism, and lastly, I think in here, we've got consumerism. Verse uh, 17, Peter says, If God gave them the same gift He gave us, who was I to stand in God's way? He's like, if God gave them the same gift that He gave us, and here's why I see consumerism in here. He's like, we've been given this gift. And, 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 and these folks understood the gift of the gospel. It's freedom, it's peace, it's joy, it's salvation, it's hope, it's assurance, identity, it's all those things. And they're like, but, but it's for just me to consume instead of to circulate. See, God's gift is not meant to be consumed, but circulated. But we become consumers. You know, we're like, yeah, Jesus is great because he answers my prayers. Jesus, Jesus is good because he makes me feel good. Jesus is good because he's going to keep my kids from going off the rails. Jesus is good because of me, 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 and we end up consuming instead of circulating God's gift. But here's the thing. God is not a God who has given us this gift so we can consume it like it's a, a menu item on our favorite restaurant menu. See, see, when we do that, that is a very consumeristic approach to a very cosmic God. A God who is not a cosmic butler realigning the universe around our desires and our demands. Who are we to oppose God, Peter asks. So family, in what ways are we guilty of this? In what ways are we guilty of racism, legalism, consumerism? Because we're guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. Here's the good news. We're going to stumble in this. We're going to fall in this. But we can have grace anew each day to cause us to get back up and say we can recover from that. And we can lean back in and we can repent. As, as he said, the, the Gentiles came to life of, through repentance. We can repent of that. And we can say, Father, show us anew today this way. Because if we repent our sins and confess them to him, he is faithful and just and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So these are the ways that I think we stand in the way as others come towards God. Uh, I want to step back in the narrative, finish it out, and show you some more positive things. Like, hey, how can we show the way to God that we can observe from the rest of this text? So let's finish out verse 19 um, as we finish out the chapter. Here we go. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Okay. Again, a little standing in the way there. But watch what switches here in verse 20. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a, fear, a severe famine which spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea, and they did this, sending their gifts 
to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So, now, there's some things we can draw from this part of this chapter that I think that will help us show the way instead of stand in the way. Um, first one is this. These men of Cyprus and Cyrene, it says, they went and they went across the cultural bridge and they went and they started to show. So the first thing that we can do is if you want to show people um, the way to the Father, I need to go back, sorry, back to verse 3. It's where Peter says he went and ate. So you need to eat with people who aren't like you. Okay, so your first kind of observation, I think, is if you look in this text, if we're going to show people to the Father, we need to eat with people who aren't like us. How often are we doing that? How often are we opening up our home and opening up our table to people who are not like us? I was talking to one of our elders, and, and his wife was in Perspectives, and she shared this story just a, about a week ago with me. When she finished Perspectives, she felt convicted about this specific thing because she was like, how do, I, do we ever really hang out with people who aren't like us? And she was at Pick and Save, and she met an employee who worked at Pick and Save who is Hispanic. And through a very archaic, like, trying to communicate with one another, she had the courage to say, do you want, can you come with your family to my home for dinner? And he said yes, and he brought his whole family to their house. They were strangers. For dinner. And thankfully, the, the, the next generation was in the room so they could actually help translate for the adults. But that's a picture of what does it look like for us to, to, to open up our homes, to open up our tables to those who are not like us. Because you know what happens when we open up our homes and our tables? When you eat with someone, even if someone is not like you, they have something in common with you. You know what it is? They're hungry. You're hungry too. You're both taking forks or spoons and putting them to your mouth together. You're being fulfilled. There's a need that's being fulfilled. You're doing that together. But Jesus said he's the bread of life for a reason because, he, because every single meal we can be reminded that he is the one who fills us. So we need to eat with those who are different from us. But when we eat, we also need to be able to speak the good news of the gospel. Verses 14 and 15 talk about how Peter was going to come and he was going to bring a message through which you and all your household will be saved to Cornelius. So we call this gospel fluency here. That means how are we able to, when we speak to people, are we actually able to ever talk about Jesus? Do we ever bring his name into the conversation at all? I think one of the reasons that we maybe don't do that, and and this is something we've got to pray through as a family, is that because if God's not changing our own hearts and lives every day, it's hard for us to speak about how he's impacting us to others. So we need to let ourselves be impacted by God through the way that we pray and read Scripture and let Scripture speak to us. This past week, it was an example for me. I went on Tuesday, took a day off, and took our family with a big group down to Six Flags. Okay, Part of my voice is struggling because I was screaming like a little girl on many of the rides. Anyway, so um, uh, long story. I can't explain all of it, but basically uh, Ephraim had gotten wristbanded because he was tall enough, but just barely. But he got wristbanded in the morning so he could ride all the 40-inch rides. Three, three or four in the afternoon, some ride operators decided they are going to make it their singular mission to not only not let him ride that ride, but not ride any more rides. And I was angry, very angry. Okay? I didn't make a scene. But I had to walk away from it, and I said to my wife, Stephanie, I need you to deal with this, okay, which she really was really thankful for. Um, so anyway, I, I, I didn't make a scene, but I, I, I walked away going, I know that's not how Jesus would have handled that situation. And the next morning I got up, and I was on my knees. I was reading 1 Peter chapter 3, and 1 Peter was convicting me and saying, talking about my tongue and talking about seeking peace. And so, okay, thanks, God. Thanks for that one. And so I then had to go back and I, I sent an email out to all the people who were with us and I still need to, I haven't done this yet, talk to the kids uh, and say, hey, here's what happened in there and here's how I, I, God's changing me and he's saving me from, from, from that. It's, it's powerful, his work in, in my own heart, like every day. And so we have to be able to speak those kinds of things to one another as we speak about Jesus. 
Another observation, verse 20. We have to be okay not taking the credit when we point people to God. We have to be okay not taking credit when we point people to God. Look in verse 20, if you still have your Bibles open. Look in verse 20 and tell me who was it that brought the good news of the gospel to those in Antioch. Who was it that were the first time Christians were called Christians in that place? Who was it that brought the gospel to them? I don't, do you guys, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, right? Is that what it says? Can you give me a name? You can't, no, not Barnabas. Can you give me a name though? No, you can't because there's not a name there. Sorry, Julie, that was a trick question. Sorry. She's like, this is why we don't answer when you ask. There's no name because it's anonymous. The first place men were, when we were called Christians where this beautiful thing, Jews and Gentiles were together, was because some men from Cyprus and Cyrene. we got the map up here. They come all the way from Cyrene, northern Africa over there to preach the gospel. And we don't even know who they are. Why? Because it's not about them. It's about the message that they're bringing, about Jesus. So we have to be careful not to take credit or want to take credit. Last two observations. I know there's another one here. It's don't do it alone. That's in your bulletin. Don't do it alone. That's in there. I'm going to skip through that one. Uh, last few observations. One is that they were, um, they were telling the, about the Lord Jesus. And the reason I want to just bring that up quickly is because um, when they went, they didn't use the word Christ or Messiah because the Greeks and the Gentiles would have had no idea what that is. When they go to the Jews, they say, hey, Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Like, yeah, okay, I get it. I, at least I know that name. I know Messiah. They go to the Greeks. They're like, what are you talking about? So they said Jesus is Lord. Why is he Lord? Because because the emperor, Caesar, is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's not a Lord of the harvest and a Lord of the, the mountains and a Lord of the, the sun. and the, it, the, He is the Lord. So here's the point. When you're engaging with people, you can tell people that Jesus is Messiah and you're absolutely correct. You can tell, Jesus that he, tell them Jesus is Lord, but they may think that you just got back from the Ren Fair. Okay? What may I ask of you, my Lord? Okay, like we don't speak about my Lord. Now, they may come at some point to understand Jesus is Lord in that sense, that he is Messiah, he is the Savior, but they perhaps need to start by hearing that Jesus is healer, the ultimate physician, because perhaps they're suffering. Perhaps they're struggling with finances, and they need to, they need to know that the Father is provider. Perhaps they're struggling with, uh, with direction in life, and they need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the counselor, the counselor. Perhaps they're struggling with anxiety and they need to know Jesus as peace or affirmation. And they need to know God, the Father, calls them son and daughter. Sometimes father doesn't even work. Some of you have maybe gone through trauma at the hands of your father, your earthly father. And so father's a tough one, depending on your, your history and your background. So we just have to walk alongside people and know how is the good news good news to them? Because Jesus is all-encompassing in the good news and the way that he is that good news. Finally, one of my favorite ways that we see in this text to show good news is by sharing the blessings of the gospel with radical generosity. And here's where you see this. In verse 29, something really cool happens. It says, The church in Antioch sent money to the church in Judea. The church in Antioch, made up of Greeks and Jews and, 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 and Gentiles, they sent money to Judea. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to the beginning of chapter 11, but in chapter 11, as it opens, there were men who criticized Peter for going to the Gentiles. You know where they were from? Judea. They were from Judea, and they said, don't you take that gospel to them. And then later at the end of the chapter, we see those very same men giving radically to those who had kind of opposed them even getting into good news in the first place. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? That's what the gospel does. That's what the good news does. 
And the good news comes from the one who changed all of them. The one who, though he was completely clean, perfectly clean, he came from heaven to eat with us, unclean sinners. The one who didn't just bring the good news, but is the good news himself, Jesus. The one who didn't take credit, but took on the form of a servant and deferred to the Father. The one who came to, in the flesh to speak the language of suffering with us. And the one who gave in radical generosity at a whole new level to those who actually had wronged him on the cross, our King Jesus. And he has called and created us to show the way to the Father and not stand in the way as people are seeking him. So I pray that we would do this together as a family. Why don't you stand as we close? Brothers and sisters, may we be convicted by the Spirit of God to be a people who consistently show the way to the Father through the Son and by the power of the Spirit instead of stand in the way of those who are seeking Him. May we do this together and may we do it for Your glory, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great rest of your weekend.